morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 3rd, we are studying Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Jesus has been put on trial before the Sanhedrin. Now Peter will face his trial before those gathered in the courtyard, and he will fare exactly as Jesus has foretold. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. Pastor Denzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center. Pastor Denzer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Pastor Denzer, as we get started this morning, our text is going to revolve around Peter. He's going to be the main character in the text. So introduce us to Peter. We've seen him throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and, and you can bring in information from other Gospels as well, but where do we see Peter in the Gospels, and what do we know about him up to chapter 26? I want to save the stuff from chapter 26 for its own context, but up through the beginning of 26, what do we know about Peter? Sure. Peter is such a beloved character, I think, because he reflects a lot of us. We see almost all, I think, of his, I can't imagine he's got more, but maybe he does. All of his failings are just laid out for us in the Gospels. Uh, and so we get to see him as somebody who is redeemed from them, uh, somebody whose sins are apparent to us and and then are forgiven. Uh, and as Christians, this is one of the ways that we treat the saints is is not just to remember them as, you know, kind of demigods, but to rem remember them as those on whom the Lord has had grace and from whom we should draw comfort as well. Uh, he he saved these people from their sins and he put them to good work. He's doing the very same thing with us. So Peter is called into the ministry back in chapter four. Um, and, uh, he's one of the fishermen, right? Uh, and, uh, in a couple different places in other gospels, he gets pulled along by Andrew, uh, and Peter quickly shows himself to be the first one in the list every single time. Uh, in chapter 14 of Matthew, uh, kind of just sticking with Matthew in chapter 14, we get the, the situation where they're walking, where Jesus is walking on water and Peter says, oh yeah, I'm going to come on out to you. Right. Uh, and, uh, that's a pretty bold thing to do. And it works for a while. And, uh, and there's, you know, the beautiful picture of Peter losing his faith, in fact, looking away from Christ, uh, and then starting to slip in. So he's first out of the boat. He's also uh, first to start sinking. Uh, and so we start to see a picture of Peter's kind of impulsiveness um, uh, in chapter 16, we get the same thing. In chapter 16, we get something very important. We get Peter confessing boldly, being the only one to answer the question, uh, who am I? Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I mean, a home run. And Peter is told, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Uh, you're the rock, the little rock at least. And on the confession of me, the true rock, uh, I'll build my church. 
and within, you know, before the chapter's out, uh, Jesus is calling him Satan and telling him to step aside and get behind me. So uh, Peter at his best moments and his worst moments, uh, which uh, I think leads pretty well into, he's the one that we seem to see the most of what he might've been like. He's, if you were going to make a movie of, of the gospels, which of course many people have done, Peter's the character that we already know we're expecting kind of what he'll look like. And I think the director doesn't have as much uh, creative license with Peter. He's, he's laid out for us. Impulsive guy. I mean, a guy who's, who's bold and, and uh, that means sometimes he really nails it. And sometimes he really puts his foot in his mouth. I like what you said in in Matthew 14 that he's the first one out of the boat he's also the one to first the first one to sink and I think that's that's a good description for Peter overall as as you've laid him out for us here in the gospel of Matthew so in Matthew chapter 26 already we've seen Peter do this again he's the first one out of the boat the one to speak out boldly he's also going to be the first one to sink so take us into the context of Matthew chapter 26 what have we already heard about the moment we're going to read in the text for today? Sure. This is the St. Matthew Passion. This is a Palm Sunday for most of the church. And uh, uh, we get to hear the whole story starting in Bethany. We get to hear about the institution of the Lord's Supper and the Passover. And it's at that meal in the upper room where uh, Peter's denying of Jesus is foretold. Jesus says that everyone's going to fall away. The shepherd will be struck and the flock will scattered. Uh, but after I'm raised, go ahead to Galilee. I'll meet you there. That'll be important for the end of the gospel. Uh, but uh, Peter stands up and says, nonsense. Uh, and okay, maybe everyone else will fall away, but certainly not me. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be with you to the end. Uh, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's good. It's Pretty good writing. Some people, the classics, the old, you know, Roman writers always criticize the, and some of the Renaissance people criticize the Bible for just not being as good writing. And, you know, it's not Cicero. It's not, it's not all these people. Well, this is a really good story. I mean, it really does foreshadow it. And, and if our Lord were not as merciful as he is, he would make Jesus, he would make Peter eat these words later. Mm. Um, uh, it really lays it on thick. So it's a good story. You're allowed to enjoy it as a Christian every time we hear this. Uh, no, actually, Peter, uh, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And across the Gospels, there's a little, you know, it's the three refer to the number of crows or to the number of times he denies them. Uh, uh, here, it's the three times of denial. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a look also at Luke, uh, just to jump over to his gospel, because there's kind of an important uh, expansion on this, which uh, I, I think paints Peter in a very, it emphasizes the redemption of Peter in kind of a horizontal sense much more, uh, because there's a little bit more personal character to this speech, this prediction between Jesus and Peter. Uh, he, uh, Luke uh, 22, verse 31, and the following goes here. Simon, Simon, repeats his name twice. It's very intimate. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, a repentance phrase, strengthen your brothers. 
And here's where Peter says, oh, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. Well, actually, Peter, uh, when the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So, so we see here that Jesus has a very intimate connection with Peter. Um, by, I mean, even by the, just the way Luke puts it here, there's no way Jesus is going to come back and say, I told you so, eat your words uh, at the end of this. That's, that's not at all the way our Lord is. Uh, he's not strutting around saying, man, I am really sinless. And you guys really are just, you know, stinking it up at every corner. Not at all. Jesus realizes um, the weakness that we Christians have. And thanks be to God, we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us in those weaknesses. Not that he experienced or knew sin in any way like we do, uh, but but he is entirely sympathetic to our weak flesh. He is kind and and merciful. And this is shown in this little episode. And and we get a hint in Luke's gospel of the fact that Peter, first out of the boat, first to fail, is still going to be the great apostle that the church remembers him as. Uh, he is he is always first in the lists. And, and, and he's not just first in the list because he jumped out ahead of everybody and beat the gun. It's also because he goes on to be strengthened by the Lord, a tremendous apostle and, and one who, who deserves our recognition first among all of his equals. And, uh, and, and the Lord is going to restore him for the sake of being an apostle, being a servant to others. And, and Peter does, although he has some trip-ups also with St. Paul in, in the book of Acts and, and in the New Testament, he continues to be and, and learns from this. I think if you read his epistles, in the context of this, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful picture. We get to see more about Peter than we do hardly anybody else, and I love that. I think it's great. Hmm. Yeah, we we really do. I, yeah, first first out of the boat, first to start sinking. And again, this goes a bit beyond where where we're looking at today, but it, it it's included in the story of Peter. Maybe maybe we could say first first to receive the forgiveness in in a sense. I, and I can't remember which gospel it is it, when Jesus is when he's alive and he, he's, he's talking to the women, he specifically tells them to go to my disciples and Peter. He singles yeah, out yeah. Peter there too. I can't remember if it's in which one of the gospels it is, but I, I know it's in one of them. And I mean, so I think we can, we, we see that, that full story in Peter of, of boldness in Christ falling away, but restoration forgiveness. It really is. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. As you were saying at the beginning, a beautiful picture for, for our lives as Christians. We do a little opposite, I think, in, in the way we think as Americans. If a name is mentioned, that always implies specificity to us, and that means that, well, they're talking about this person in particular. In in Greek writing in the New Testament here, the Gospels, it seems to almost be the opposite. Whenever somebody is mentioned by name, it's if anything, it might be the author kind of hinting at what's going on. That's not the case here. But uh it's also kind of an invitation for you to stick your own name in there. Mm. Uh, and, and so not only does Peter resonate with us, kind of, I don't want to psycho psychologize the, the Gospels or anything, but he already kind of resonates with us. And, and I think because we get to follow his story in particular so detailed, it, it is an invitation from St. Matthew, from the Gospel writers to say, this is a this is a character you ought to be identifying with, and and ideally, yes, we want you to be the first to be to, to repent and receive the Lord's forgiveness, and and to be strengthened by that for your task as well. Before again, one more thought before we get into the text, I I see a bit of irony in just again to go back to Peter's confession of Christ, 
you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right after that, Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he's going to, as the Son of Man, go to the cross. Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen. Jesus rebukes him. Here, here is the moment where Peter could step up and prevent Jesus from going to the cross. He's, he's kind of already tried that a little bit. We know that Matthew doesn't tell us this, but, but the other Gospels remind us that Peter's the one who cuts off the servant's ear. So he's, he's already sort of tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. But when push comes to shove right here at this moment, He's not going to. He's not going to be able to. And I mean, I, th I just think I don't know if there's if that's irony or it's just it's telling to see. And maybe we should even we could even say that, you know, when Jesus rebukes Peter, he calls him get behind me, Satan. So that, that in all of this, again, we're, as Peter denies Christ, we see the plan of God for our salvation working itself out despite any opposition that that's existing either now or in the past. I, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, that is really, in my opinion, it's the way uh, Johann Sebastian Bach understands the St. John Passion, that, that the whole point of this is to see um, the the foibles of everyone involved who thinks they're in charge, especially the Jewish leaders, uh, but to, to point us to the fact that Christ is perfectly in obedience to his Father's will and willingly and gladly doing all of this for our salvation. He's in total control of this. And and I really, I, I never considered that with Peter in particular, but, but you're right. This is his, this is the moment. And he really drops the ball when it, when it matters. Um, I suppose he could have, I mean, one, he didn't certainly bear a good witness to Christ by being willing to die with him as he boasted a second ago. Uh, but he also certainly didn't step up and say, and I need to get in there because I need to be a witness uh, in his favor. Right. He, he could have been the one who, who showed it to be a kangaroo court, I suppose. And uh, of course he didn't. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text then. We're in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's our text for today, Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Pastor Denzer, well, maybe the place to start is this scene that's taking place. Matthew's already narrated Jesus' trial. So is, is this scene taking place during Jesus' trial, and now Peter's coming, or not Peter, Matthew is coming back to this to highlight this for us? Yeah, one of the Gospels, of course, says has Jesus looking at him, and I think uh, it's hard for me not to think of all the little made-for-TV movies that were shown in my Lutheran grade school as a kid, and, and they always did a decent job. I think this one is so well laid out for us. The best movie script moments, uh, as well as getting a chance to see into the character, right, that uh, that you have these things going on simultaneously. John's Gospel really masterfully 
shows this by kind of switching scenes you know it's 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 like in return of the jedi right you get the two battles going on at the same time and and you keep bouncing back and forth between them and that's something that many books and stories do it's exactly what john's gospel does and that's what we should understand is going on here so it is almost like jesus finishes up his trial and he's stood the test he's he's you know opened not his mouth didn't defend himself boldly or arrogantly or didn't lose as cool we might say even though it was all a sham uh and, and so he you know testifies well to everything he he stands up and is an honorable fellow at the end of it and and here's peter who the whole time was was failing in every way three times uh and then they all kind of meet up at the end where there's this this gaze from from christ uh or there's this rooster crow that just dr draws it all together even if it seemed like two scenes, now we realize, oh, oh, this is this is part of it. This is of one piece. Seeing those two scenes together is important, I think. And we talked about this a little bit when we were looking at the institution of the Lord's Supper, that that Jesus is giving this gift of the Lord's Supper to the people who are going to betray him, who will deny him, who will run away from him. And right here, putting these two scenes together, Christ in his trial, standing steadfast, Peter in his trial, failing miserably, it's a, it's a reminder of why Jesus is doing this in the first place. He's doing this precisely for Peter, precisely for people like this. And that that's a great comfort to us, I think. Absolutely. There's a way in which we think of sin. It's When we start talking about sin, we just immediately jump in our minds to the most dirty, the most violent, the most evil things, uh, and always deeds. What is going on in this, it, like I said, it's hard not to start psychologizing because this is internal. This is, this is the mind. This is the heart. This is integrity is on trial, right? We see a trial that's, that has no integrity, and we see our Lord not doing what all of us want to do, which is, you know, fly off the handle and, and say, this is, you know, mistrial. This is, this is a, sh a shame. This is a, a ridiculous kangaroo court. And he doesn't do any of that. Uh, Peter gets to that point. Peter loses his temper, flies off the handle. And what is he on trial for? I mean, it's just owning up to who he is, uh, keeping true to his word that he so boldly said a second ago and um, being, I mean, just have just telling a simple truth. The Lord's on trial for things that are serious, and, and the result of it will be death. Peter doesn't know that, uh, although there's there's the hint already that he's he's afraid that he'll be on trial next because of Jesus. And, and I think the warning is so obvious for us, and the temptation that we know is there for us as well is to deny Christ when it matters, and when it matters is usually not. Uh, you know, what we promise at confirmation, uh, I'd rather face death than fall away from you. Very few of us get the chance to be martyred for the faith, and we're not supposed to seek that anyway. Uh, there's a sense we have that, well, if it came to death, if I had a, a knife to my throat or a gun to my head, then I wouldn't fail, right? Uh, and yet in so many simple ways, we fail. You know, I, I hide my cross necklace because I don't want people to see that. Or as a pastor, right, I just want to take my my collar off in the airplane or in the bar because I just don't want to mess with the hassle of of being connected with Jesus and having to answer all those questions that you know are going to come, right? Shame on us. <laughs> this, this is exactly what Peter falls into. Uh, 
but in true Petrine fashion, you know, at the end of it, he's cursing and stamping his feet and acting like a little child uh, until the rooster crows. Take us take us into the the scene then, and just some of the details on this side of the break. How does how does the scene progress? It seems that there's escalation through these three denials. Sure, it's kind of like he's getting closer and closer to Jesus the whole time, at the same time getting farther away, right? So at the you know at the gate, the, you know the first girl comes and oh, I think I know you, right? Uh, you're with that guy. Jesus the Galilean has to be about the the least forceful title for Jesus ever, right? It's not even his town. It's not Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it's not, it, it's certainly, it's not that guy, that crazy miracle worker, that Christ, uh, none of those things. Just, you, you know that guy, right? No, no, no. And denied it before all of them. It's almost like Peter like looks around and says, I just want to say this for the record. Oh no, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you can almost see him hamming it up. Uh, the other servant girl sees him too. Here it gets a little more serious. Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, this is a name people know, right? Oh, no, there's an oath attached here. You know, by God, uh, I don't know this guy. And at last he starts cursing uh, uh, on the third time. And here it's his words that have betrayed him, right? There, there are some things you just can't, you can't get rid of. Uh, I think it's in Peter's epistle, right? Where he talks, maybe it's Paul, where he talks about, it must be Paul, the aroma of death, right? That we, there's something on our breath. There's something on our clothes. There's something in our access too that does connect us to Jesus as Christians. Um, we have to lean into that. We can't try and deny that or, or cover that up. It's, it's just not going to work. But uh, in this case, you know, it also isn't something wise. It's, you're denying him when you try and do that. Right. So I, I appreciate what you said about where Peter is. I think this is, is part of the way Matthew structures this. At the beginning, he's sitting outside in the courtyard. By the by the next one, he's he's out to the entrance and and a little while bystanders. So it seems that that as he's denying Jesus with his words, he's literally moving away from Jesus, which is the opposite of I mean, to go back to his call. Matthew chapter four, Jesus said, follow me. Here, Peter is doing the exact opposite very physically. He's not following Jesus all the way to that third one where he begins to, to curse. I appreciate too what you said about his, his words are betraying him. That, well, it's almost like he can't help but speak his connection to Jesus and yet he refuses to admit it. And I think that, is that something that, we would watch out for as well, Pastor Denzer. How does that, how would that work for us? Yeah. Um, even just the point that we've made the bold confession to be with the Lord mm -hmm. too, and then to go against our word is this is deadly for faith. Um, I think maybe lying is one of the few connections to sin we really can have in our era. We don't like liars. We still don't like that. Uh, there and lying to ourselves, we somehow believe that we we understand that too. Being a person of no integrity, whose word means nothing, we really loathe those people. That's what we become also when we deny Christ by our words or by our actions. When we when we try and pretend and play this game where we just don't want to be too overt or or don't want to. Um, we don't want to own up to it. 
especially when it matters, but sometimes even when it's a trivial thing, like, hey, do you know this guy? I don't, I mean, <laughs> Peter's already at that point, I don't even want to be connected with him. You know, it's not just, no, I don't, uh, I don't avow everything. It's, it's, I, I, I almost don't want to have any connection to him at all because for fear of what people might do to us. And and the Lord has one prepped us for this with His Word, but also urged us to to see that He promises anyone who's marked as being with Him is one who's marked to receive all the benefits that He is at this very moment suffering to win for us. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU, looking at the end of Matthew chapter 26, Peter's denial of Jesus. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for your LCMS congregation or organization to become a Church of the Week for a gift of just $595. If you would like, you can split that into monthly gift payments. Also, if you commit to be a Church of the Week between now and Easter, in addition to 35 30-second announcements and your pastor or leader being on one of our programs, we will give you, for your pastor, a beautifully bound Luther's Small and Large Catechisms, compliments of Worldwide KFUO and Concordia publishing house in St. Louis. This small and compact volume has Luther's seal on the front. The pages are gold-edged, and the inside print is plenty large, even for an older person like myself. So contact me to schedule your week. You provide the information for the 30-second spots, and we'll produce them for you. Our thanks to CPH for partnering with us. Call 314-996-1520 to schedule your week today. Websites selling binary options claim they are low-cost, high-reward investments. What they don't tell you is that binary options are high-risk bets where the odds are stacked against you, that withdrawing money is often almost impossible, and that representatives will contact you with intense sales tactics or even threats. Protect yourself. Don't let anyone pressure you into making investments or quick decisions. Visit MissouriProtectsInvestors.com to learn more. Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State's Investor Education and Protection Fund. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, April 3rd. We're looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75, with Pastor Sean Denzer, the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and the Chaplain at the International Center. Pastor Denzer, we've been looking at Peter's threefold denial of, of the Christ. One of the details that I think stands out as a warning to us is who it is that comes up to Peter. And the very first one, it's a servant girl. This isn't a soldier. This isn't someone who's ready to beat Peter like Jesus has just faced. It's just a servant girl. The temptation doesn't come in this really powerful way. It's just this 
small servant girl, and it continues like that too. It's it's another servant girl the the second time. You you do get a a group of bystanders for the third, but the way that this temptation, this attack comes at Peter is really not all that impressive at all, and yet he falls. I think it's absolutely true. Uh, there's something about sharpness that uh, sometimes, I don't know, we're just so, maybe it's because we're so reactionary, uh, edgy people. We, we like that kind of advertising. And But the temptations of the devil that often are most successful at, at shaking faith itself, you know, the, the foundation from which everything else flows are the ones that are so subtle. Uh, the ones that are everyday, commonplace. Uh, very few of us, at least in our minds, I, I don't know if we ever get the, exper the experience of it ourselves, but m very few of us have these great watershed moments. You know, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some big war or something, or, or like I said, a martyrdom in the traditional sense. But we have thousands of times to confess. That's the other word. If you if you weren't killed for the faith, we remember you in the church as a confessor of the faith. That's what Peter has a chance to do. And in such a simple way to say, yeah, I, I'm, I know Jesus. That's it. Uh, and, and that's the thing he's unwilling to say. And I think, and I think this is so stark for us because so many of us are struggling with that very thing to just admit we're a Christian, to, to own it. Uh, and I felt the the temptation myself. I've given in to the temptation before myself to just want to downplay it. To I don't want the hassle of the conversation, or I don't want to have to the, have the ridicule of well, you're you're a dumb person that believes all sorts of fairy tales, or uh, to 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 assume the cross and the shame that you know will come with with being associated with Jesus Christ. Jesus predicted this. He told us this. We, we see it all the time in our world. We can expect it. Uh, and, and that means also it's a place where the devil can use that certainty that we know and turn our fears against us to, 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 to drop the ball in the, in the moment. We should rather take encouragement from Christ's telling us ahead of time that yes, we're going to bear shame. Yes, we're going to face cross. Uh, very simple little ceremony that nobody gets to see except the pastor is when he puts on his stole, if he wears one for, for services, uh, there's usually a little cross on the nape of the neck. And uh, it's kind of traditional actually to kiss that cross as you're putting on the stole or taking it off, which is a marvelous little ceremony that uh, we're, what are we embracing uh, with affection? The cross suffering, death, pain, all of the difficulty that will come being a preacher of Christ. Every Christian uh, does this as well when they make the sign of the cross and say in the name of the Father and the Son, remember their baptism as they wake up in the morning. They are, they are embracing the cross of Christ, which means that they recognize they will face suffering by being connected with him. It goes the other way too. Uh, those who face suffering on account of Christ can have confidence that they belong to him, that they are united to him, that they are, I mean, as Peter would go on to say later, I believe it's Peter again, uh, uh, to make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, what an amazing phrase, to, to, to suffer with him, and that he uh, embraces us in that suffering and says, well, this is a sure sign that you belong to me, and that I'll, I'll preserve you through it, and, and even better, uh, as Paul says, I'll make you a more than conqueror 
I'll, I'll raise you from the dead. Yeah, that Peter, ought to steal Peter, us against the temptations. Peter says it in his first epistle, chapter four, he talks, he says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit Thank of you glory so much. and of God yeah, rests upon is, you. All, go ahead. Isn't it great to hear? So, so this is the same man who had this great failure, who knows firsthand what it is to not take his own advice. Uh, and and now he ha, he has learned from this and is preaching it to us anyway, even though he knows it kind of, you know, reminds maybe in a sense of his own failure. Uh, he is not afraid of that. That's how confident he is in the forgiveness that he's received. Not to jump ahead mm -hmm. too much. Well, no, right. And then again, the this is now verse. I skipped ahead. Verse sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify mm -hmm. God in that name. Right. I mean, this mm -hmm. is this is what we're talking about: embracing the name of Christ, embracing His cross knowing that as you suffer with him, you belong to him, you are his, and, and that protects you from whatever cross, whatever the cross might do in terms of suffering and death, that, that you belong to Christ and, and you will be raised with him. I think it's it's First Peter chapter 1 that, that sometimes is a text for uh, in the Easter season where, where Peter talks about the glory that we're looking forward to, the, the resurrection of the dead, and all of this strengthens the Christian in suffering. And, and yeah, to, to put those words of Peter in the context of, of what he, what he did here is just the, the example of the redemption that Christ gave is, is just so powerful. And that's what, uh, like I said, the gospel of Luke kind of brings out, right? Uh, I've, I've prayed for you that Satan would not finally destroy your faith through this, but that after, uh, you've been restored, and returned again in repentance, that you would be someone who'd be able to strengthen your brothers on this. And uh, and Peter's preaching to us and his epistles to us are still doing that to this day. So again, looking at the, the text here in Matthew chapter 26, one of the points that stands out is in the third denial, it says that Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, as he says, I do not know the man. What What's going on with the curse that Peter's calling down upon himself? Yeah, what is this? By God, uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I guess he didn't say that, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, as sure, you know, step on my mother's grave or something. I swear on it that uh, I didn't do it, right? Uh uh, may God destroy me if I, these are the kind of curses that people would call down, uh, uh, which is a bold thing. This is what the second commandment forbids when, when it says we should not curse or swear. It's not necessarily just talking about foul language, but it, that too. But certainly it's getting at this idea that we would use God as some big brother, you know, well, I'm going to, I'm going to invoke his name, not for a truth, but in fact, for a lie. Right to try and to use the threat of God to as a bluff, uh, you know, as we're playing this card game of lying with other people, uh, that is that is pretty wicked. Um, it reminds me of someone else, of, of David. He does this very thing uh, when it's when he is confronted by Nathan the prophet um, about what he's done with Bathsheba and to Uriah. Uh, it's it's a fascinating experiment, and I suppose we could do a similar thing here with Peter to just try and figure out what, what commandments were broken in this incident. Uh, and with David, we get to just about all 10, I'm pretty sure. But one of them is, is he, you know, he 
he swears by by the name of the Lord, you know, by God, uh, the man who did this deserves to die and ought to have to pay back four times, right? And that's when when Nathan delivers, you know, the snipes in the bullet. You're the you're the guy. Um, so in the very same way, right before David is finally exposed and brought to repentance with a dramatic, small, subtle gesture, that's an, that's enough to do it. Um, uh, just a simple call to remember something, the word of the Lord. That's when he is farthest from God, is, is in fact trying to twist God's name to be a cover for his sin. And that's that's kind of what Peter is doing here, too. And immediately, right? And then we, and then just like Nathan, immediately and simply uh, delivers the word, you're the man. Here, here, Jesus does the same uh, by bringing, by Peter's remembrance of his words. That's a, I think that's a good comparison to make here between Peter and David, because we know how David's account goes from that moment on too. After after Nathan has confronted David, David says, "I'm I have sinned." He repents, and and I think and maybe it's clearer in in other gospels. But Peter, it seems, does the same. Maybe not. I don't know if it's at this moment or not. I guess we could talk about that. But he certainly by the end of of his story, if you will, he he does. So so how do we see Peter reacting then to he's he's finally exposed here. And, and not by the crowd, but he's exposed by Jesus, because what Jesus has said was going to happen has happened. Peter's exposed. And, and how does he react here in Matthew's gospel? Probably we should start by saying he does not double down. What doesn't he do? Double down. Do what every politician and every person, I'm afraid, in our culture would do. Because we know there's no forgiveness in our culture, right? Uh, God have mercy on our poor leaders who are doing their absolute best to make decisions every single day in the midst of this pandemic. And, and when it's all said and done, anybody who made a decision that was slightly bad is going to be vilified for it. There's no forgiveness. They're on the wrong side of history. Uh, and uh, it, that is a that is a terrible burden to live with. And that's what causes people, I think, to double down on their on their first answer. I mean, if you're if you're damned, if you do and damned, if you don't, you may as well just, you know, stick to your guns, I guess. Uh, there was a Bible, I mean, since we talk so much about video depictions of this scene, there was a Bible scene of the David incident that kind of portrayed David like that. I really think it, it did a disservice to David, according to the scriptures, because it had him fighting Nathan, saying, well, we'll see, you know, uh, and, and then only later going to God in prayer uh, and saying he was sorry. That's not the way it goes at all. He immediately is undone by Nathan's words. It, it's an amazing scene because in the same verse as it is in our Bibles, right? You're the man. You've done it. And then David in the same verse says, you know, I've sinned. Uh, you're right. He confesses. He he admits it. He is a godly. He's brought to godly penitence by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have here. Immediately the rooster crows and Peter remembers and he goes out and, and weeps bitterly. And I think that's the way we ought to take it. Uh, uh, in particular, because we know the rest of the story, there is a Peter to talk about later. He doesn't go and do something rash. Uh, but he has hope. He, he, is, he is, does return to Christ when he hears the word eventually from those women on Easter. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So it, these the, are the, tears. Go keep ahead. going. Keep going. Sorry. No, no. Oh, no. these are tears of, that we ought to understand as as repentance, as as contrition, as as the word of the Lord uh, brought in a very gentle way. Sometimes that's all it takes. Is a, I mean, a rotten tree blows over with a little breath. And that's kind of what's happened here. All it takes is a look from Jesus, as in the one gospel, or in this case, just the rooster, right? What can that do? Uh, but but it, it was enough to to um, to bring the whole thing crashing down for Peter. And thanks be to God, he didn't try and stand up anyway. The power of God's word is evident both in in David's account and in Peter's account here. Thinking thinking through David, you're, I mean, you're exactly right that it, it's immediate. Nathan says, "You're the man." David says, "I have sinned," which throughout that is, I think, the most amazing part of that text. When you consider who David is, David is king. He can do whatever he wants as king. I mean, this is this is what rulers do. They they can do what they want. He could have had Nathan. Put to death, sent out of his presence. He doesn't. The the one who's the most powerful man there on earth recognizes the authority above him that's being spoken to him through this lowly prophet. And, and he hears that word, and that word brings him repentance. And and similar with Peter, he, he's not the most powerful man here, but but his character is, as we've said at the very beginning, right? He's bold. He he just steps out and speaks what's on his mind. Suddenly, here comes the word of the Lord to him that he that is brought to memory by this rooster crowing, and and boom, he's he's weeping bitterly. the The power of God's word to bring to repentance that that really should stand out in this text as well. Yeah, um, and thanks be to God. This is the Holy Spirit does not only work through the gospel. We have to acknowledge this. this is what Jesus says: the Holy Spirit comes to convict of three things: of sin and of the judgment of righteousness and uh, righteousness and of the judgment that the devil is condemned. And the first conviction, the first work of the Holy Spirit in us uh, kind of consent, conceptually is this calling to repentance, this working of contrition, this exposing us and, and breaking us open. Uh, Peter is very much like the children of Israel who after hearing the Ten Commandments said, oh yeah, Moses, all this will do, we'll do it great. Uh, and then, of course, it's a couple chapters later, and they're making the golden calf as as Moses is in the very process of getting those commandments written down. Uh, Peter's done the same kind of bravado, and then fallen into fallen into that sin. Um, but but the word of the law can accomplish this, and the Spirit is behind this to lead Peter not into destruction, not into hopelessness, or not into stubbornness, but to actually let that word of law do its work, to expose him, to cause him to see what he's done, to, to lead him to recognize that there's nothing he's going to be able to do to undo this, um, which at first sounds like a very hopeless situation. And it is, if the law is the only word of God that you have to, re- to rely on. But, but if you have Jesus Christ according to his character, if you know his mercy, which we see David did looking at his great Psalm 51, which is written on the occasion, and, and Psalm 32, which extols the great forgiveness and the, and the blessedness that comes when when the transgression is forgiven. It's not bottled up anymore. Um, it, we have to understand that hope in Peter. Um, and we see that hope uh, come to fruition when our Lord gets a chance to talk to him again, or 
or I like your point, even before our Lord gets to talk to him face to face, our Lord is telling the women, don't forget about Peter, by the way. In fact, go to him first, maybe. Well, and, and even in, I think is if we go to Luke, that Jesus at this moment turns and looks at Peter. Mm, yeah. Right when the right when the rooster crows, and I know that's that's maybe stepping it's stepping outside of Matthew, but it is what's what's that look of Jesus? What what's he looking at Peter for? I, I don't know how to do it better than than the, the box Saint John Passion, and, and which actually snips out the wept bitterly out of Matthew and brings it in because it's just a moment that's too great. I think Bach doesn't want to lose that. Right, <laughs> the narrator weeps you know, it portrays this bitter weeping over many notes. It's it's quite a dramatic part. And then we get to hear the chorale say, Peter gave it scarce a thought when he got, you know, rejected. Um, uh, and then it turns, you know, the choir turns to us in effect and says, in a prayer to God, uh, Jesus, fix your gaze on me. True repentance bring me. Uh, when you evil there see in my conscience, through my conscience, reach me. Um, that that this is a look of of the law uh, to bring to repentance, but see the aim, the end of it is mercy. It's exactly what Luke's gospel does say at the end. What is to be preached? Repentance into, for, into, with the purpose of finally come to the completion of forgiveness of sins, and that's what the Lord has done. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's. That's why the Lord prays for Peter and and is still uh, his shepherd even through this. Uh, now that shouldn't galvanize any of us to go and say, "Well, I can sin all I want because the Lord will, will, you know, loves to forgive it all." That would be missing the point. Um, but but that is in a sense what the resurrection ought to comfort us with and ought to indicate to us and should have indicated to all the apostles too, right? Think of when uh, Jesus foretold Peter's denial. What did he say? The shepherd's going to be struck and you're all going to be scattered. Everyone's going to fail with you, Peter. We just get to see yours, you know, in, in full color. Um, but, and what's the but? I'm going to be raised and I will go before you to Galilee. And in other words, you'll all be there too. What, for condemnation? No. Uh, to, to have the fruits of that suffering of Jesus, to to receive the the perfect uh, integrity that he had done for them uh, by his great exchange, and, and to have the confidence and the peace that comes in the forgiveness of sins, which is, of course, what the Gospel of John and Luke as well gives us. Perhaps we can spend a few, we've still got a few minutes left here, and it might be good to do a bit of compare and contrast. You brought up David. And and David stands as an example of repentance and forgiveness, in contrast, perhaps, to King Saul, who comes before him, who, who falls into, rather than the godly grief that King David has, King Saul has the worldly grief, to use those terms that Paul brings out, I think it's in 2 Corinthians. Here we've we've got an example of that and a bit an opportunity maybe to do a bit of compare and contrast between the godly grief of Peter on the one hand and the worldly grief of Judas on the other hand. And this it bleeds into Monday's text a little bit. But but Pastor Denzer, do a little bit of, of compare and contrast for us with Peter and Judas. Yeah, this is kind of the classic example, or it ought to be taught for us as Christians, of the difference between those two, between uh, uh, a, 
a sadness over a, a sorrow over sin that recognizes what's going on and a sorrow over sin that's still angry at God over it or still has something to win and and, and the terrible cocktail that you get between between this worldly grief that Paul mentions and our natural false sinful instinct to earn salvation that it that it all depends on us and our works because because that comes to a horrible cocktail and frankly it's it's mixed by judas's pastors his priests who who absolutely fail in their task uh, and tell him to see to it himself and he certainly does as best as he sees possible but but that answer is to offer himself as a sacrifice and to die uh which which doesn't work and what a what a simple uh, but but uh painful uh rebuke of suicide um but but there's there's a tremendous difference uh, between the two we see that judas does say he's sorry and there's no way to get around it he he regretted he was repentant is the word uh and, and we shouldn't try to take that away but but what's noticed is is what is different there is no faith there um uh Peter hears the words, takes them to heart, not just of Jesus, that is, not just as a condemnation of him from which there is no rescue, uh, but as, as a condemnation from one to whom he can still return and find mercy and seek mercy. Uh, he doesn't, he isn't afraid to go to Jesus knowing that he's the hangman. And if he confesses his sins, then he'll get the ax. No, he goes and confesses his sins anyway, knowing that the character of this Lord is mercy. It's exactly the way David prays and, and how he seeks the Lord as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, what, what's what's the difference between them? It's faith. It's, it's trust that there is a, a gracious God um, and that his promises remain true for me and that he is able to overcome uh, this sin and the law that he has against it. That's exactly what Jesus does by his death and his resurrection. For Peter, for Judas, and for all of us. Right. So the, the difference between Peter and Judas then is not what sin they committed. It's not the fact that one betrayed and one denied, but it is rather that, that faith that Peter had, but Judas didn't. That's, that's the difference between the worldly grief of Judas and the godly grief of Peter. Pastor Denzer, we've got, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things to be sorry for, and, and probably the best place to read it, if you've got a lot of time, which we all do sitting at home, right? Uh, pick up the Apology to the Augsburg Confession and look at uh, all of those articles on justification, on repentance, on contrition, confession, absolution, and see the way Melanchthon talks about this. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in talking about how sorry are you, or are you sorry that you got caught versus are you sorry that you offended God? Uh, and... Uh, Melanchthon's approach is to kind of say, we don't really know what we're talking about here. <laughs> we can't psychologize contrition in that way. And and the only reason you'd want to is to say that I can earn and trigger God's forgiveness by having a certain kind of sorrow. By weeping bitterly enough, uh, maybe I can gain God's sorrow. Well, I have to say the more dramatic gesture has to be suicide, right? Uh, but that does not earn God's forgiveness, uh, nor is it what God is. Um, so, so, so it's not the the character and the intensity, or the seriousness, uh, or or the you know um, heartiness 
of the repentance that causes God to, to release some mercy or something. No, mercy is totally undeserved, uh, but it but it comes on account of Christ and what he's done. Um, so it's not a difference in contritions or sorrows or forget or repentances. It's a difference in hope. Is the hope actually placed in the sorrow or in somehow making this right? Or is it a hopelessness to everything except for Jesus Christ in which all hope is placed? Because that hope won't disappoint. With about two minutes left here, Pastor Denzer, help us summarize the morning. Give us the comfort that is here in receiving and seeing Peter's trial and Jesus' trial side by side, the steadfastness of Jesus in the face of our sin. We see, uh, we, we see Jesus go and uh, unashamedly either stay silent when he ought to, at least in our minds, get angry and, and go off the handle, uh, and to speak truthfully and honestly and faithfully to his father uh, when he's pressured not to. We see Peter, who is, like all of us, very impulsive, uh, at one moment bold and at another moment entirely insecure and timid. Uh, and we see him fail at the chance. We see him do what we often do, which is to disavow any connection with Jesus Christ for fear of what it might bring to us. And yet the Lord's word calls us to repentance. It calls us not to double down in our sin, uh, but calls us to uh, release all hope in all of these comforts and treasures in this world and to cling to something else, to cling to Christ who has won it all for us, who is perfection, and yet who does not lord that over us, but rather gives it to us and credits to us by faith. Trust in him. He'll forgive you like he did Peter. Pastor Sean Denzer is the director of worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, the chaplain at the International Center helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. The example of Peter is beautiful for us. He fell, Christ restored him. In our sin, Christ restores us. He is steadfast for us. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.